0: Welcome. This is so much more than gender. This is your hostess, Erin Swenson, for so much more than gender. It's been a while, and um, I want you to know that this is um, this is my sort of New Year's resolution to try to stop being so perfectionistic. Um, I've had a difficult six or seven weeks um, with lots of projects going on outside of this uh, for other people and... um, uh, not that i didn't have time to do this but that i used it to psych myself out and decide you know i've got to write down the script for every episode i need to be very careful and work really hard and spend 40 or 50 hours editing everything and i decided uh that perfection isn't all that it's cracked up to be and um and that um and that i want to um i want this to get out there without uh Without delay, so I'm not only doing this i'm uh, I'm recording this also in video uh, which will be available in the so much more than gender um, I hope I can find the name, uh, but I hope to open a, a YouTube uh, channel for so much more than gender and you can watch it there <laughs> if you just like my if you like my face <laughs> I will have uh, I will have some guests on hopefully. Um, who will be on air, uh, and you can see them. I don't expect to have a a large video presence, however. Before we go on with my story, I have to tell you about Sigrid. Sigrid is the love of my life. That's how I describe her. I met her in 1967 at church camp, and we were married by that Christmas, um, less than six months later. It was 1967, Vietnam was raging, and uh, I was in college. I had finished two years and was transferring from one t- college to another and in the transfer lost a whole year's worth of credits. You don't you don't transfer from an electrical engineering program into a liberal arts program without getting hurt, and I did. Seagrid, by contrast, had just graduated from Agnes Scott College. And so uh she was a couple of years older and uh and wiser than i, um and we got married and it was I fell so much in love with her uh, at church camp. Uh, we were counselors to a wilderness camp together, where we went out in the wilderness with oh gosh, eight or nine senior high kids and formed a family for three weeks and uh, It was kind of like trying it on, and it was beautiful it was wonderful and uh, it became the model for what was to come in the years ahead. We were married and um, came back. Sigrid uh, went to work. She decided against graduate school, um, and I uh, continued to plow into my schoolwork uh, as well as, uh, as work uh, some miscellaneous jobs to try to keep ends together. And um, it was that way for several years um, until our first daughter was born. It was three months into our marriage, however, that disaster struck for me. When I fell in love with Sigrid, for some reason, my need to cross-dress, uh, to, um, uh, to spend hours fantasizing about uh, being a woman, um, all of the stuff that was stuck in my mind and was my daily obsession disappeared it was a wonderful time uh, the 3 months between uh, between mid december and uh, well actually mid june when i met sigrid and uh, and and mid march of 1968 um i was in heaven and then one day um i was at home alone uh, sigrid was at work and um and i found myself dressed in my wife's clothing looking at myself in the mirror and being completely devastated. It was the beginning of my living in, um, in secret. Uh, it was devastating to me. I became very depressed. You know, thinking, go, thinking back on it and talking about it now, I probably should have told her about it uh but i'm certain and i was certain at the time that had i done that that it would have really ended our marriage and uh and looking at it from this perspective that would have been a very big mistake for me i'm not so sure for secret but it would have been for me because my our marriage was um was a precious thing in my life I decided to keep it a secret, and I I managed to live with it by uh, overworking, uh, and I had lots to do. Um, Inga, our first child, came into our lives uh, in our third year of marriage. Uh, We were living on the seminary campus even though I still had another year of college to do because the seminary enrollment was down and and they needed to rent out, they needed the rent from our apartment. So uh, we moved into the seminary student housing a year early while I finished my last year of college with our brand new baby daughter. Um, I was uh, at the time uh, working uh, at um, at a major Atlanta department store uh, almost full-time and of course finishing up my seminary degree and uh, trying to be a good father at the same time and I found that a great mix I could do do all of that and really overwork and uh, it it kept me it it kept me at a level of depression um, that I could cover up uh, with all of the activity and so it worked Um, it worked well I went through clinical training, decided to uh, go into a graduate degree program, started it, and then uh, for the purpose of gaining some experience, headed off to be the assistant pastor of a church in Dalton, Georgia. So we packed our little family of three up and moved to Dalton. Uh, And after a couple of years there as minister of education, um, our second daughter was born. Laura was born. 26 weeks which was um almost 14 weeks prematurely and uh she was about three pounds um all was fine except that she had um a problem with breathing her lungs had a terrible problem and she could not breathe on her own so she required a respirator uh, which meant that she required uh intensive care and so um Laura and I, the night that she was born, we flew from Dalton, where we were living, um, about 200 miles to Columbus, Georgia, where the only neonatal ICU bed was in the state, it was available. And uh, Laura stayed there for a couple of weeks. Um, she came home, and um, we thought things were going okay, um, and uh, then she stopped uh, responding. Her, her her fontanelle, the little soft part up there that little babies have, that is that, is that open spot in the head, um, became taut. And uh, that was a warning sign. And Sigrid uh, was a majorly good mother. Uh, she saw the sign immediately. We were on the phone, and Lara was in the hospital, in the emergency room within the hour. Um and um, and within the next hour, Laura and Sigrid were in an ambulance heading toward Atlanta to Eggleston Children's Hospital and um, um, I uh, made arrangements for our for Inga for our older daughter um, and uh, and then uh, followed uh, Sigrid on to, um, on to Atlanta, where uh, we had uh, about... Uh, two or three months of of nightmare. Uh, Laura almost died several times. Um, she um, she had a ventricular peritoneal shunt put in, um, and uh, after some really rocky uh, periods, um, uh, the. The neurologist came out of the ICU and told us that he had some difficult news to tell us and so we steeled ourselves for hearing what no parent wants to hear and he said as i recall he said Laura is going to live of course oh that's wonderful then why all the why all the seriousness he said but She's very small, and she will not grow very much. That's what he said. And he said that would be a good thing, because she would not ever walk or ambulate herself. Uh, she. He used the word uh, vegetative, I believe. I, I hope he didn't use the word vegetable. But he did uh, state that she would be um, uh, pretty much a... Uh, uh, It wasn't going to be a normal life for Laura. Uh, We were devastated. Uh, We took her home. uh, And um, Sigrid, who has a heart like an ox, (laughs) she has a mother's heart, like a mother bear, huge and strong. And she said to me, she said, I just don't believe him. She said, you know, I look in Laura's eyes and I see something there. She sees me. I know there's someone in there. And uh, she insisted on that until finally we got Laura, uh, at the age of two, we got her to a de- developmental clinic for evaluation. And they said, yes, indeed, she needs, she needs immediately uh, to be put into education uh, because she has incredible um, opportunities. She, she has cerebral palsy. She's probably not ever going to walk. Uh, but she can see, uh, she will likely be able to speak. Um, They didn't say that at the time, but we knew that that was going to happen, at least I did. Um, And that began our life with uh, both of our daughters, with Laura, who grew into a severely disabled person who was profoundly joyful (laughs) with her life and, uh, and who spread that joy to everyone that she saw. Remember me. Remember me, I'm standing there trying to be a good dad. To both Inga, the daughter who, oh God, she, she was the kind of daughter that parents dream of. I mean, she was, uh, she in, in childhood, she sang songs to herself all day long. She played by herself. She could play with other kids. She helped other kids do it. When Laura came home afterward, and and she was, you know, Laura was four or five years old, Inga would pack her up in uh, our little red wagon with the sides on it, and she would bundle Laura up and sit her in the wagon because she really couldn't sit up by herself. And she would pack a lunch for both of them to take Laura on a tour of our neighborhood so Laura could see the neighborhood and they went on a picnic. That was the kind of big sister that Laura was. And here I am trying my best um, to be a good dad, to be... I was a therapist at the time. I was both ordained as a Presbyterian minister. All of of the busyness that I had done uh, caused me to accomplish a great deal in my life. Um, uh, I actually had earned... um, uh, three graduate degrees, um, n- not just my bachelor's degree after being married, but three graduate degrees while being married and and so um, all was well except for my soul. It was not well with my soul um, uh, but I did my best uh, and I worked hard on the house i um I you know I reworked that house that we lived in uh, practically from top to bottom, stripped out paneling and put in drywall, ripped up plywood and put in hardwood flooring, uh, built a 600 square foot deck, um, designed and remodeled with my own hands, including the cabinetry, our kitchen, um I, I and you know still at the same time um keeping a full-time practice going and for a year of that time also being um an interim pastor of a, of a medium-sized congregation in suburban atlanta um amazing <laughs> amazing that i did that um Sigrid did not know anything of what was going on with me our life together uh, was good, except that my depression and and I think uh the way uh that I demeaned my own self it wasn't low self esteem it was a kind of uh, demeanment uh, i I knew that I was really not worthy of this woman, uh that I was not worthy of these children, um, that I was not worthy of being a father that I was not worthy of being a successful psychotherapist, that I was not worthy of being a valued colleague among my Presbyterian minister minister friends. I wasn't worthy of any of that. Um, and I carried that around as a secret. I would uh, find uh, odd uh, strange times to cross dress. When I was writing a dissertation, I would go off to the mountains for a weekend of writing, which of course meant a weekend of writing uh, in the role of a female and not a male. Although that never came through anywhere, ensconced at a cabin deep, safely deep in the mountains of North Carolina. It was all a big secret until um, until uh, one day in uh, nineteen. 80s. I think it was 1988, um, Sigrid had gone off for a weekend with one of her best friends, Dale. Um, she and Dale used to have a, a a weekend together once a year where they would go off and leave their families. Uh, Dale had two kids, too. In fact, our families kind of grew up together in seminary. We were next-door neighbors. Uh, so our families were well-acquainted and very close, very intimate. Um and Sigrid had come home from one of her weekends with Dale, and uh she was sort of debriefing her weekend with her and she said, "You know, Dale said that um both she and david David was her husband uh, kind of my best friend at the time uh the, the one relationship that i that i that I truly um destroyed I think in my gender transition um but um." Uh, she and, and, and Dale had come home, and we got to remember I'm living as a guy, um, doing my best. And she and, and, and Dale, she came home and she said, You know, Dale and David think that our relationship is really more like a loving brother and sister than a husband and wife. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt so sad. I felt sad, partly because I knew Sigrid to be a deeply sexual person. And I knew that our relationship was not facilitating in any way that part of her. And I knew why. Um, And um, uh, the next Monday, she went off to work. And uh, um, I didn't sleep at all that night. I found a small notebook a notepad and I was gonna write her a one page note telling her that um unbeknownst to her I'd been cross dressing since the age of ten and that I'd been cross dressing through all of our relationship and um and that I really didn't want to be a woman. What a lie. Oh my god. But then I went on. I it, it was pages and pages. I took this this little pad of little notes and filled it up uh with all the things that I had done that I felt that had transgressed our our marriage and and apologized to her and uh and I, and, and and left it for her and went off to work. I had grouped that night, so I wasn't going to be home until like after nine. And I remember coming home um, uh, really thinking that um, my a suitcase would be out in front of the door. That's what I would have done, because that's the kind of person I am, but that's not secret. I always fail to fathom the depth of that woman. No, it was not a suitcase waiting for me at the door. It was the open arms of my wife. She embraced me. She told me she, she really didn't know, but it wasn't a surprise either. And, you know, we must have talked for hours. I promised her that I, that I didn't want to be a woman. And of course, just the fact that I was trying so hard to promise her that was a confession that that was exactly what was on my mind. Uh, But we made plans. I was not to mess with her clothes. I was to get my own clothes. We sort of set some ground rules for my cross-dressing that I was going to get some help from from another therapist I'd been in therapy for my whole life. That I was going to see a therapist who was uh, versed in cross dressing and and um, and gender issues, and and um, and all would be well. Um, my God, uh, the next day uh, was like heaven. I'm telling you all of this because that is the woman that I married. She married me, and she and she she stayed with me through the. Terrible depression that I had at the very beginning of our marriage, when I discovered that I had had not moved past this challenge in my life. We stayed together and supported each other through the traumatic birth of of a, of a daughter, and then stayed together as Sigrid and I think I probably helped, but it was it was because Sigrid was there, too. To, to support me and, and move me on but we had and raised two beautiful daughters and she even supported me when she. I told her that the story obviously goes on from there but I wanted to introduce you to this woman this woman who even today she lives about a mile from me we see each other all the time. We continue to support each other as parents of these two, two, two you know, now adult, middle-aged women. Um, we spend holidays together, and we help each other going to doctor's visits. She's, I'm, I'm at that age where I'm getting a colonoscopy. Oh, yay! Tomorrow, and uh, Sigrid is going to go, and she's going to be my, she's going to be my companion for that and you know she said you know when i told her that i was going to transition in in 1994 god what a thing for a for a loving wife to hear from her husband you just don't expect it when i told her that she said that she loved me and she always would she said she couldn't be married to me because frankly she couldn't see herself being married to a woman and that's what she saw me as she said that she would be there with me, for me, through the whole journey. And she has. That's why my life has been so much more than gender. Thank you. So Much More Than Gender is about the actual lives of people who are transgender and gender nonconforming. The point is to present the real lives of the TGNC community. Some of us are exceptional in one way or another. Most of us are ordinary in most ways. All of us are human in every way. So the series presents both my story and the stories of many others in the TGNC community. Thanks for listening. If you would like to communicate with us, our email address is so much more at aaronswenson.com. That is so much more, no spaces, no periods. At E R I N S W E N S O N dot com. Thank you for now.